0: I would invite you to open your Bibles with me as I read from God's Word, Revelation chapter 7. We continue through these strange apocalyptic visions here, a sight of those who are in Christ in union with his death and resurrection and the benefit that is found even in our union, the coming salvation. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow upon the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. We're sealed. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. O Lord, we come to you and we ask that by your glory and grace you might grant to us humility and the wisdom and understanding that comes alone from your word, that we might live in it as your disciples, wholly devoted to love and good deeds, We ask all of this in your holy and awesome name. Amen. Well, I wonder if I even need to preach this morning. I know most of you, or maybe many of you, have already seen the films or read the books left behind, and there's not much left to do now that those things have been written and filmed. Actually, if you've seen those, my... Part of my job is to undo some of that. And it is, the reason for that is this. As we are interpreting Scripture, our hermeneutical framework, hermeneutical just means the means by which how we interpret Scripture. Your hermeneutics are the principles, the framework, for how you take a, a section of Scripture and take it in and understand it. It's like glasses. Some are polarized, some are unpolarized. Our goal is to look at the Word of God and to get rid of some of that baggage that comes along with the sort of theological trend that arose in the age of the Second Great Awakening and fundamentalism called dispensationalism. And what dispensationalism does is it abuses the meaning of the text in the book of Revelation, to fit a non-covenantal hermeneutic from Scripture. Now, children, what does all that mean? It's like common core math versus just doing math the way you should do it. It's like learning language phonetically or by sight. One is just better than the other. And though they are, maybe each school has a, a way to defend why you would do one Uh, one way or the other, the other. This is very polemical. I probably shouldn't start a sermon so polemical, but you need to know where I'm standing. We need to look at the book of Revelation in this way. We are not finding predominantly literal explanations. The 144,000 is not a literal number, and the way that you know that is you read the Old Testament properly. And you use the Old Testament to interpret the New Testament because the language of Revelation 7 may be new to you, but it is not new to the Scriptures. And so what we find John writing about is predominantly the benefit and blessing that the saints of God enjoy in their safe, eternal, solid union with Christ Jesus. What does that look like from the other side of heaven? From the perspective of Christ and the saints who are risen or not yet glorified but at least are no longer members of the church militant. What does it mean? What is the privilege of being beneath the blood-stained lintel covered by Christ? Two points that I want to make this morning. The first, chosen and sealed Chosen and sealed. And then the second is actually taken from a line from the Psalm 91b that we sing. You shall only see this judgment. Chosen and sealed. And then secondly, you shall only see this judgment. Let's look at the first point, chosen and sealed. I'm already starting off excited. I don't know exactly how... Loud, it's going to get. I'm very glad to be back. We see four angels, four corners, and four winds. Really, we see a fifth angel, but let's talk about the four angels first. After these things, verse 1, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, west. And they're holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow upon the earth. Now, this is a reference to something we've already seen in chapter 6. Now remember, these are not literal descriptions, which is why there is a bit of a variation here. The first, second, third, and fourth seal. Those seals are being loosed by Christ and they represent judgment upon the city of Jerusalem that was to come in 70 A.D. Here, we see these as four winds held back by four angels. It is a cosmic otherworldly description of what the judgment of God looks like as it is being sort of stored up and it it is in his divine decrees and his sovereignty being held back until the appointed time this is what it looks like to human eyes as revealed by the Holy Spirit to John the Apostle and here there it's sort of like holding back a crowd these angels are holding back the wind in these four corners, and it represents covenantal wrath and judgment, and they are commanded to not yet blow. Now, these angels in Psalm 104 are referred to as messengers of fire and flame. They are holy ones ordained by God to manifest His wrath upon the world. Now, that another time in Scripture where we see such. An angel of wrath and death, I think you can, as soon as I say angel of death, you think what? The book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we find the angel of death moving through the land of Egypt, and he is selecting, based upon God's instructions, those whom would be spared and those who would die. How is that selection process made? Well, it's made the same way here. The more you read the Scripture... One of the things you begin to realize more and more is that God does not go off theme. That as he began the work of salvation, so he continues it in an ever-increasing, manifest, invisible, and so glorious way. You've seen these new bedside lamps. Maybe you have one. And they're supposed to wake you up peacefully. And they start to shine very low. And over the span of about however, I guess you can adjust the time, they get to full brightness. And it's supposed to wake you calmly into a new day. Then you have kids. <laughs> and before the light ever turns on, a kid jumps in your bed. No, it, it, is, it is just like that lamp. At the very beginning, God begins... And it is a glorious thing to be sure. But as we look at the covenant of grace in Genesis 3, it is like 1% of the light. And as we move through Revelation to the coming of Christ and then the book of Revelation, it is here in Revelation where it's 100% brightness as it relates to the revealed word that has been given to us now. At some point when Christ comes again, it goes to 11 It goes beyond what we have already seen. But judgment is coming. And Christ makes that very clear. But it is not coming until those who are in covenant union with Christ, that is, before the foundations of the world were laid, the Father gave to the Son a bride. And in time and space, those who were eternally given by the Father to the Son become His. And so this eternal decree of covenant union is manifested in our lives by the fruit of what? Of conversion. By the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and regenerating us and making us His children. God did not make that decision at the moment of our regeneration. That decision was made before time and space in the eternal mind and decrees of God. There's a lot here. (laughs) And so what we find as we continue, there's another angel, there's a fifth angel, and he arises from the east, and he says with a loud voice to the four angels, do not yet blow until those who are chosen who are the servants of God, are sealed and so protected by the coming judgment. Your mind should be able to go to those other sections of Scripture and understand this kind of language. It is not new language. When you hear seal, I want you to think of the Israelites who are in the homes where the blood of the lamb was painted on the lintel and the, the sides of the door, and there they hid under the blood of a sacrifice so that they may not perish. That theme is throughout Scripture. Such that even now when we seek to present the gospel to someone, we say to them, because of your sins, you stand naked before a holy God and you will be condemned. The solution to that is run to Christ and be saved. you can memorize that that's it now after that the call of discipleship and walking with the lord but that simple simple clear call to flee the wrath that is to come and the wrath is coming and we need to see it from this perspective the wrath of god is divinely stored It is divinely ordained, and it is appointed for a certain time. In Well, specifically in Revelation chapter 7, this is the judgment that will be poured out upon Jerusalem. And the expression, the application of verse 3, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the heads, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads, This is an application of Luke chapter 21. Now, if you turn to Luke chapter 21, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke chapter 21, the third book of the New Testament, in verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things are written may be fulfilled. What is Christ doing here? He is telling his disciples, when you see the Roman army surrounding Jerusalem, get out. In that city at the time, there were one million Jews who had made a pilgrimage for the Passover. They were all killed by Titus and his evil Roman horde. But the warning was given. And is this not very similar to the covenant structure that Christ fulfills time and time again in the Old and New Testament. There is a coming judgment that is told to us by God. There are instructions or warnings like given to Noah or the Israelites in the age of Exodus. Get out, flee, hold fast, build your life upon the rock. But until the saints are sealed, there is no judgment that there is a clear line that is laid out by God himself between the haves and the have-nots, those who have been sealed by the blood of Christ and those who have not. And this sealing is covenantal in structure. What the Lord is talking about is covenantal condemnation and covenantal salvation. I'm introducing (laughs) a litany of biblical theological topics here. Maybe this should be two or three sermons. I hope you're following. If not, it's being recorded. Go listen to it again. It's sort of like a Systematics 101 class, which you kind of have to do as you're moving through the book of Revelation because you're having to peel back some of the layers of bad interpretation that have been done all around us. But all men live in covenant relationship with God because they are made by God. Children, let me put it this way. Run from it if you like, but your parents will always be your parents because they made you. (laughs) And you will, even in an age when you're older, in some fashion belong to them. In an even greater extent, we who are made by God are in covenant with him. And because of this, all of men are either covenant keepers or covenant breakers. Either you are living in light of God's revealed will or you are rebelling against it and have rejected it. The Jews and the Jewish nation throughout the Old Testament have periods of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. And even in times of wanton idolatry where in Isaiah 1 they are compared even to Sodom and Gomorrah, but worse because they've been given the prophets, they've been given the law, the books of wisdom, all of these things they have been given, and despite all of these manifest gifts, they say, no, I want nothing to do with you, Lord. How much greater the judgment for such a people? Parents, you do this, you level up the judgment based upon explicit commands. Do this, no. Do it, no. Do it. And what do you do? Maybe you shouldn't have given three chances. But look at the chances that God has given to Israel throughout the Scriptures. Sometimes chances are the only way we can get to the point of obedience. Israel has rejected not only by killing the prophets, but they have crucified the Lord of glory. I wonder how many churches today would crucify the Lord of glory because of their hardness of heart, their hatred for the supernatural, their love of the world, and their desire to be be admired by those who hate Christ and his commands. But the seal of the saints is what saves them. And we see this time and time in Scripture. And that leads me then to my second point. You shall only see this judgment. I guess what I mean is that before God, everyone has a name tag. Everyone. In the scriptures, it's, it's presented as this label, this, this name that you wear upon your forehead. And it either says Christ's or the world. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Israelites are encouraged to bind upon their heads and their hands and the doorposts of everywhere they go, they need those little signs that say, keep covenant with Christ. Now they took that literally. What Christ was looking for, as we sang earlier, is that it would not be formal shows, but sincere shows of faithfulness. This is supposed to be here in your heart, on your soul. In Ezekiel 9, we read in chapter 9, verse 3, Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the earth or from the cherub what it has been to the threshold of the temple, and he called to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's ink horn at his side, And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done with it. Mark them. Mark them. This is the ground level of what we see in the sort of 30,000 feet of Revelation chapter 7. Christ is going through the city of Jerusalem, converting the apostate, the heathen, and he is bringing them into his family. And then in Exodus 20, the priest would wear a frontlet between his eyes. In Revelation chapter 17, it is not just the saints, but it is the great woman arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abomination and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Sometimes the tag, sometimes the name is not good. But before God, every man, woman, and child on earth, by right of his decrees, has a name tag, has a a tag here, a seal. This is what it means to be in union with Christ, and this is what it means to be outside of union with Christ. All men that have ever walked the face of the earth are covenantally connected to the Lord. Like it or not, this is how God deals. And so when we come to Jerusalem, what we find is this, that there are those who are still in the city at this time who have not yet fled, who have not yet been called who have not yet been sealed by the blood of Christ. But those who are sealed, they're safe. I read elsewhere. But as in the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Now, this is what I'm talking about in terms of the dispensational baggage. I want you to invert that entire hermeneutic. They use this as a proof text for the rapture. But the scripture says, blessed are those who will stand in the judgment. How will we stand? How will we not be taken away or like the chaff that the wind blows away? The wind of God's judgment will take away the wicked, but the righteous will stand. How is it that we are made able to stand? Through Christ, the cornerstone, the rock upon whom we stand. And so those who are sealed have hope. Those who are unsealed have no reason for hope. And here is the great, massive weight that gives to this cosmic vision of judgment and salvation incredible weight. God knows who are his. And that is what we come to, the 144,000. That's why you showed up, right? (laughs) Who are the 144,000? Who are they? Well, they're not Democrats. I'm just kidding. That's how we think, right? They're not Republicans. They think. This is how we often think. We take Scripture and we bend it to fit some maybe even relevant current context. But here is the way in which Revelation works. God has, even before creation began... Planned how we would be redeemed. Isn't that glorious? He foreordains whatsoever comes to pass. God did not look at Adam and Eve and as they were getting ready to sin go, no, 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 don't do it, don't eat the fruit. That's how many think. The deist, the evolutionist doesn't even think of God. Well, they do only when they're sorrowful, but when they're happy, they want to get rid of him. God isn't responding to creatures how we respond to crisis because we can't see it coming. And so what we find is the eternal decree of God related to election. So let's look at the names and the numbers. As we look at the judgment that is to come, the righteous will only see the judgment that falls upon the wicked, Psalm 91. Who are those who will look And be safe. Let's look. Now this number. We see in verse 4. And I heard the number. Of those who were sealed. 144,000. Of all the tribes. Of the children of Israel were sealed. Now the Lord knows who are his. And this number. 144,000 I would argue. Is derived from a basic measurement. Of 1,000 that comes from. Numbers 31. And in the book of. Numbers in the Old Testament: God commanded Israel to divide up their military divisions by the thousands. Now, if you take the 12 tribes and you multiply that by 12, 000, by 1,000, you get 12,000. If you square 12 with 12, or if you multiply 12 Old Testament tribes, 12 New Testament apostles, you arrive at this number, 144,000. We've already seen a representative number of the church around the throne earlier in the book of Revelation where we see the persecuted church and the elders who surround the throne. And those elders around the throne represent the entire church. Here again, we find a number that gets more to the multitude of the elect, the entire church what we call little c Catholic Church, not the Roman Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church. Now, the Catholic Church is this it is all the saints who have been chosen by God through the Son, living, dead, or not yet alive, the elect. It is the whole number of the elect that is the Holy Catholic Church. And so, when we sing Father Abraham, he is our Father. You don't have to be related by blood. You don't have to be a Jew. You nearly, you only need be one who believes upon the promise of God by faith. We teach this song to our children. Why? We baptize our children. Why? Because they are an expression of the covenant that Christ, that the Father has made with the Son, and that they are very much the stars in the sky, the sands upon the shore that God called Abraham to look at. They are part of the visible church. Now here, this description is not of the visible church, but of the invisible church, the elect, those who are truly the children of God. And God knows who they are. He gets to number them. He has determined, he has allotted, not just the boundaries of the earth, where the mountains go, where the seas go, where the trees are, how gravity works, how planets move around and moons orbit those planets and all of them move around the sun. All of that God has set, the boundary lines, he has also set the boundary lines of his covenant family. And that is the 144,000. Now some would say that 144,000 represents those saints who were spared the judgment upon Jerusalem. And that could be But this number is clearly connected with the second part of chapter 7 where we see a multitude rising up and singing amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I would contend that these are the saints. Now, when you look at these, if you know your patriarchs, some of you may have them memorized, especially you children who know the songs, you find that the tribes of Dan and Ephraim were missing. Now Ephraim was a son of Joseph, Manasseh as well, but there was no such thing as a tribe of Joseph. The question is, why are the tribes of Dan and Ephraim missing? Well, if you go on a search, what you will find is that there is throughout Scripture a long history of both of these tribes, which boils down to this, unconfessed idolatry. And if that doesn't fit with the theme of Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, and why they are excluded, I don't have a better explanation. In fact, Hosea chapter 4, verse 17, makes it very clear it is because they failed to hear and repent. They did not repent, though they knew of the coming judgment. Only those whose hearts are soft. Under the warning, kiss the Son, lest he be angry with you, lest you perish in the way. Unless you repent, you are not numbered. This is a warning to us, and it should be a warning to us. If you wish to have any confidence that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, to be numbered among those who will be saved from the coming judgment, then you must repent. And flee to Christ for salvation. Now why is Joseph listed here instead of Ephraim? Historically, it was the sons of Joseph. There is no tribe of Joseph. Well, what is Joseph for Israel, historically? He is the deliverer. He saved his whole family. He suffered and then was given a seat of authority... And because of God's grand design and his obedience to the Lord, he delivered his entire family. They were smaller than they were 400 years later when they were well over a million in the land of Egypt. God honors those who are his. In fact, we see that honoring in Genesis chapter 49. If you want to go there, in Genesis chapter 49. Beginning in verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel by the God of your Father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your Father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. Up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be upon the head of whom? Of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of him who is separate from his brother's. Jacob is blessing Joseph. And here John is connecting, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this great benediction given by Israel himself, Jacob, to his son, because his son has delivered the family. And here we find that manifested in Revelation chapter 7. What do we learn God knows who are his, and he will bless them. That is who this number is. And not only that, but look at verse 1. Judah is not the firstborn. Why is he listed first? Well, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? Greater even than Joseph, than Joshua, than Moses, than David, than Solomon. Greater even than the greatest characters of the Old Testament. Greater than John the Baptist greater than Paul, Christ himself. Christ has sealed, and in his sealing, has numbered, called, protected, and will for all eternity make safe those who are his. This is what happens when you get Scripture wrong. You miss treasures like this that provide not only for the saints at the age of John and the destruction of Jerusalem, but if you take that moment, as we do all of the moments in the Old Testament, and we expand them to the whole church, what we find is this principle. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Get into the ark of safety. Flee to Christ that you might be saved. And if you wish any guarantee for eternal salvation, then you must today do what? Hear what Christ says in Luke chapter 21 When you see the judgment coming, flee. When you see the judgment coming, flee to Christ. And so we have this blessed question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism, which next time we confess this, which we should do soon, I want you to think of Revelation chapter 7. I want you to think of the book of Exodus and the days of Noah. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in the coming judgment? I added that part. Here's the answer. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on To live for him. Not a hair can fall from my head. Hold the judgment. Why is Christ even to this day holding back the final judgment? Because you and I have work to do in taking the gospel to the nations. As the angel goes through the earth, you, you. You. Who knows where they are? Every tribe, tongue, and nation, Christ will have dominion. Even now, what Christ is doing is moving through his messengers of fire throughout the earth, and he's saying, you are mine, you are mine, you are mine. And how is he doing it? Through the preaching of the word of God, through the reading of the word of God, through prayer, through sacrament, through the means that Christ has given to the church to seal the names of those who are his. That is our only infallible grounds of assurance. And it should be for us the only security that we have in the coming days of difficulty. I am Christ's and he is mine. Let's pray. Oh Lord. Our